Welcome to the inner world of filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm a writer, director, editor, and a podcast producer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. Today, we're talking about comedy writing and the adventures of the talented Jordan Jacobo. I was introduced to Jordan through his work on the 48-hour film projects where he was involved in writing and acting in several of them over the years and thought, this guy is fucking funny. I ended up having the pleasure of working with him on three films for the 48-hour film project, Joe vs. Doomsday, The Stay, and Workplace Politics. And most locals know him best for his Jordan Hates and Jordan Love series, which we will be talking about a little later today. Welcome, Jordan. So happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for asking me to be on. This is nice. Yeah, this is great. I I think this is going to be a fun talk. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into comedy writing? Well, I consider myself primarily a a humorist. But, uh, you know, I went to film school and um, I guess comedy writing, I sort of fell into it because, you know, when you're in film school, you pretty much have to write and produce and shoot and sometimes appear in your own stuff. And comedy's always been always been my thing. It's always been second nature to me. So every time I try writing something, whether it's a drama or or whatnot, it ends up skewing toward the comedic. So I said, you know what? What the hell? Why ignore what I seem to be drawn toward and what people seem to think I'm good at? So uh, comedy it was. And and back in college when I was starting, I needed things to edit. So I would shoot very short pieces called Jordan Hates. And it was just me bitching and complaining about stuff. And I put them online just to see what would happen. And to my surprise, they actually took off. People were interested in them, which I guess shouldn't have surprised me because, I mean, it's the Internet. And with the Internet, you can't go wrong with negativity. People love negativity. So, um, yeah, so I had a a nice little run with that. I guess the rest kind of is history. Well, how many takes did it because I've seen your your videos and they you talk so fast and give so much information. I mean, do you have to do multiple takes or you just do you memorize it? Yeah, I memorize it and then I do about three or four takes. But usually, you know, it's funny when I get wound up, it, it seems to be my default state. So suddenly I think clearly, you know, I, when I'm in a good mood, you know, my mind is all over the place. But when I'm furious, it's like a I, I hyper focus. So I would write uh, episodes about things that legitimately bothered me. And I was able to just focus and, and really kick out a 30 second or one minute rant uh, that I think seemed coherent, though furious, and people responded well to them. Well, and also the editing. Did you do the editing for them? Yeah, I would edit them myself. Oh, my God. Well, that that in itself, you did fast cuts, in and out, close ups to, you know, wider shots. So I thought that that kind of kept it interesting, too as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, it's funny because in the early days of YouTube, you kind of had to, because if you didn't capture somebody's attention within the first 10 seconds, they were done with you. And, uh, and, and that's kind of why I kept all the episodes so short because, you know, I find that if you make one 10 minute episode, no one will see it. But if you make 10 one minute episodes, people are likely to see them because they'll say, I'll watch one. And then they'll go, oh, okay, fine. Well, now that the other one's playing, I'll watch the second one. And before you know it, they've given you 10 minutes of their time in one minute increments. And so for me, I had to kick them out quick 
I would say it was more maybe quantity over quality because sometimes, you know, it was just me in front of a background, you know, as opposed to like an actual set or setting the lighting nicely. But it was me just ranting. So I guess people didn't really care how pretty it looked as long as the message resonated with them, you know. Right. And so can you tell us a couple of topics that you would do in your videos? Sure. Uh, One in-depth one I did was uh, about how George Lucas ruined the Star Wars franchise when he came back in the 90s and re-released the special editions. And then how what a mess the prequels were and how this was before Disney took over. So Disney was on the verge of buying it. And I said, you know what? I think Disney's going to save them. Now that is a contentious subject for a lot of people. But I think Disney did a pretty good job so far. So that was one of them. Uh, but I would do basic ones. Like I would, uh, I went to a student art show. And so I just, I rant, I did a rant about how I hate student art and how it's so basic to me. But then again, look, who am I? What I was doing was art. And some people didn't like that. And they're entitled to their opinion. So really, a lot of it is subjective. And sometimes, you know, when I didn't have an opinion, I'd do Jordan hates puppies. Uh, which, look, I love puppies. Or Jordan hates babies. And I adore babies. But it's whatever was, you know, whatever I had around me. So I would I would shoot with that. Um, I stayed at a hotel room one Christmas with my brother. So I shot Jordan Hates Hotel Rooms. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We just threw that one together one Christmas Eve. And that one garnered, I think, the most attention. It won an award. and But it's funny. I just threw that one. I slapped it together. It was, you know, there was nothing special about it. But people liked it. Conversely, I, I spent two weeks producing and shooting one called Jordan Hates Road Rage. And I shot it with a whole team of people. And I, I used multiple cameras and we did stunt driving. People couldn't care less. So it's incredible. You just never know what's going to resonate with people and what people are not going to give a single shit about. And uh, I guess that's just the way it goes. Right. Yeah. No, that that is pretty interesting. Uh, it almost makes you think that just keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple because the chances are, and this may be a negative philosophy, but chances are people, if you think about it this way, if you think, look, people aren't going to like it anyway. So put the minimum amount of effort and, uh, and, and they might surprise you. I mean, I, I know it's kind of a defeatist view, but the thing is I'd rather put minimum effort into something that, you know, might not might not even hit anyway, you know? Well, right. And also that you hit a key point, keep it short. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people, their attention span is a, of a gnat, I think. And uh, <laughs> with TikTok, I mean, TikTok has it. It's like one minute videos. Do you know how long, when I first started with TikTok, I would be on there, like, I would start at seven. And then when I'd look up, it was after midnight. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was kind of scary. I had to delete the app a couple of times. Uh, just so I get off of it. But there's something to short, get to the point, And that's what you do very well in those videos. Absolutely. You know, some nights, TikTok is funny, because some nights, I'm the same way. You know, I can say, look, I can watch a movie. But do I have an hour and a half? No, I don't. So I'll go to bed and I'll watch TikTok. And suddenly two hours elapsed. And what did I see? I don't know. I can't even remember. Meanwhile, I could have watched something decent. But I didn't. I wasted my life on TikTok. But it's so... It's death by a thousand cuts. It's so many little interesting nuggets. Yes. Well, well, and also what I love about TikTok, I know we're kind of getting off topic, but but there's comedy videos in there, uh, is that 
you're in somebody's house, you're in somebody's world. It's just so weird. It's like, oh, so they came up with this. <laughs> yeah. It's so personal, too. Right. Yeah, it's so incredibly personal. It's not shot out of a studio. It's just some kids in their front yard telling jokes, and you're like, okay, well, well done, or bravo, or what a piece of crap. But still, you have an opinion on it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, you you tend to um, have a lot of opinions about relationships. And you and Kristen Chandler did a podcast, uh, 2018 to 2020, I believe, um, called You're Going to Die Alone. How did you come up with that? And what's it about? Well, You're Going to Die Alone was funny. So uh, my friend Kristen Chandler and I, um, before we started the podcast, we were... Um, we were actually at a bar, which is kind of our natural habitat these days, and um, she had just gotten out of a relationship, and I had just, at the bar, I had just gotten into an argument with the, a lady I was dating, and uh, so we were both depressed. She said, you know, we should do a podcast about relationships, and it's funny because, you know, I've dated a lot, and, and it's never gone well because, full disclosure, I mean, I recognize that it's that I'm the common denominator in the relationships. I recognize that it's me. However, I know a lot about nightmare relationships. Uh, so when she said we should start a podcast, I said, you know what, I'm I'm behind you, because it's the only podcast that someone has suggested to me that I've actually been interested in the topic. And I said, you know what, we should call it You're Gonna Die Alone. Our, our then producer, Allie Lennox, was with us, and she said, hey, if you guys map it out, Within two weeks, I'll produce it. And I said, okay. So we sat down and we did and we, we came up with the whole thing. And um, so the rest was kind of history. We did three seasons of You're Gonna Die Alone. In it, we cover the most high-profile, disastrous relationships in human history. And so it's a lot of celebrity relationships that went wrong, a lot of royal relationships, you know, a lot of actors, a lot of sports people, but definitely well-known people. Um, how they got together, and ultimately how they split up, and the the ensuing disaster there, and and really, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that it was it wasn't just a big excuse to talk about our own relationships, because Kristen and I every week would talk about what a nightmare our own relationship life was, and it was very cathartic. Yeah, no, no, I I found the shows very interesting. How long did it take you to research, you know, the couples and then present? And then how long did it take you to kind of record the show? The research part was a nightmare. I I did the majority of the research. um, And it was about 20 hours per episode. Wow. Because I wanted to not just cover the surface, uh, you know, of a of a relationship, but really I wanted to get into uh, who people were. For for instance, we did uh, Britney Spears and Kevin Federline. So I did a deep dive into Britney Spears' history, how she got started, Kevin Federline, how he grew up, and then things you might not know about them. And then, um, so it would take about, about 20 hours per episode to really dig deep and get info. Um, once we recorded them, they'd take about maybe an hour and a half to record. Mm-hmm. But But we had, you know, we were prepared with full scripts of notes and whatnot and so um it was a lot of work but it was i found it was worth it i loved loved recording those uh episodes and then um how often did they drop were were they weekly or just whenever you'd get around to doing them yeah they were weekly so we we did three seasons uh each season uh, consisted of about 12 episodes and we'd kick them out weekly and then we'd we'd break for a couple of months and then we'd we'd come back because it did get a little heavy you know i mean 20 hours a week on research alone was just, you know, it was just too much for me. 
Right. So were you recording every week or would you record a couple of shows in a sitting? A couple of shows in a sitting. So about two was the most we could do because, I mean, I'm sure you know, performing takes a lot out of you. Yes. And so afterwards, you just kind of want to go back into your hole and not see people for two or three days after you, you know, do a performance. So for us, we would do one day of maybe two episodes and then I wouldn't want to record for about a week or two. Mm-hmm. And then did you get a couple of them recorded, pre-recorded before you started to launch the podcast or? Yeah, we usually had about two or three in the can before we were ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, before you know it, it's especially with a weekly show, it's like, oh my God, we got to do more. So it's like hard to have to record, you know, you really got to record several in a month. Big time. Every Big month. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, you know, when it came to because we would start the shows talking about what our weekly relationship uh, drama was, you know, and, and I in those days I dated a lot. So for me, I always had a new horror story and uh, Kristen refused to date. So she just talked about how lonely it was at home with her cats, <laughs> which which, you know, no, no criticism on cats. You know, they're good for entertainment, I guess. I'm more of a dog guy. But, um, you know, but but people always what surprised me was how interested people actually became uh, in our personal lives. I mean, people would reach out to us personally. Uh, they would send us gifts. People would want to date us, which was weird because the show essentially was composed of two people who are inept at dating and probably <laughs> right. shouldn't be with anybody. And and that was, I mean, that was kind of the basis of the show. We're bad at dating. And people would say, well, you haven't dated me yet. Let's give this a shot. And so in a few cases, we did. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it, it was never, it never went well, but yeah. it was always interesting. And then would you bring it up on the show? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a stalker and, um, and she decided to come to San Diego and I said, well, I'll be remiss if I didn't meet up with her. And I did. And it was a, an interesting few days. But uh, yeah, we talked about that on the show. Yeah, just, just different things, you know, and then, and then, you know, I, I was dating somebody while the show was going on and halfway through I broke up with them and I was indelicate enough to give the reasons for the breakup and then that caused some tension and, and you know, stuff like that I did regret. In, in the way that art imitates life, there's natural urge to be honest in your art, you know, and so... um you know, we covered that breakup on the episode, and um, people found it interesting, which I guess, from an artist's perspective, that's the most you can ask for. Well, I think uh, breakups are always interesting, because, you know, I'm always, I wish more people would share about their breakups, because then you'd know, huh, what is it? Like, I love the famous line, it's not you, it's me. Yeah. I just don't like you. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, you know, and it's and it's also interesting when you're dating people, like you go out and they can say one thing and that's just the turn off. You yeah. Know? Or the red flags. Yeah. My whole thing is I was too focused on red flags. And so I would see them everywhere. And then at one point halfway through the show, I decided to be fair to myself and to the person I'm dating and ignore red flags. And then I went out with someone who was all red flags. And by the time we broke up, there were so many red flags I, I, I couldn't believe that I'd been so blind. But, uh, but but you know, you're right. Because when you hear, you know, when somebody goes, hey, I got engaged. Yeah, great. Good for you. Yeah. But if somebody goes, hey, I got it. Uh, I, I broke up. Okay. In, I mean, bad for you, but tell me what happened. I want to know. Right. You know, and breakups are more interesting because that's how you dish the dirt. Plus, 
when people get engaged, there's always one version of it. We got engaged, we're going to get married. But when people break up, there's two versions. Right. And both versions are ugly. And it's always the other person's fault. And it's always, to me, fascinating. Yes. So. You act and you also host, which you're amazing at improv. I mean, did you take classes or... Uh, I did back in college. I took an improv class because a friend of mine asked me to take it with her. And I said, yeah, okay. I've ne- I'd never done improv before. But it was fascinating. I mean, it was very, um, you know, it, it it didn't feel like I was in school. It just felt like fun. And I made friends there. And you meet like-minded people. Yeah, improv, they teach you how to be, how to be quick on your feet, you know. And, and they teach you to never... Just say, yeah, okay. They teach you to yes and and to up the ante. And I think, it, you know, it's helped me immeasurably. Yeah, because you're really quick with your wit and you. just quick with comments and stuff. So the improv class really helped you or, or have you just really always been that way? I think I've kind of always been quick to comment because I grew up with a bunch of cousins. So I was almost like... It's almost like the middle child, but with with cousins or whatnot. So you, I, I had to always speak up to be heard, you know. And I was always, and I, I recognized that I wasn't always um, heard or paid attention to. So I would always come in with a little comment here and a little comment there. And whether people heard me or not, it didn't matter because it amused me. Right. But so for me, it was always kind of like the, I've always felt like the wacky neighbor. And I've always felt that the wacky neighbor needs to have at least an interesting aside you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, were you, uh, but were you the, the funny one in the family? Like everybody's like, oh, Jordan's here. The parties can start. And I thought I was the funny one, but I got to tell you, my family has never found me amusing. Oh, really? Ever. Yeah. I, you know, my, my mother and father always told me to, you know, I was very hyper. So I think they just tuned out. I don't know. I, I always thought I was very funny, but my whole family would look at me like, Ugh. you know, and that's, but the thing is, I realized early on that I was the black sheep. And when you're the black sheep, you kind of have nothing to lose. So you sort of take chances. So where everybody wanted to be the good one and be in line, I was always the one who said, what the hell with it. So I would do and say whatever I wanted. When you look at my cousins now, they're all doctors and lawyers and uh, special, you know, education professors. And then there's me. (laughs) And, you know, I, I guess in a way I still am the black sheep, but because I went my own way, right. you know, I decided to pursue entertainment for good or ill, and uh, and here I am now. Yeah, but you're great at it. Well, I thank mean, you. I just say you got to do what you love, and it just seems like you know the creative people they seem to have the most fun. I think. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, um, and then you had a digital series called Jordan Loves. Uh, tell us how you came up with the idea and how it landed on KPBS. Well, you know, it's interesting. It was an interesting time. A few years back, KPBS was not only accepting um, pitches, but they were actively soliciting people to come and pitch them ideas. And I said, well, hell, this is my chance. And, and I had done a little bit of work with KPBS, um, and I had I'd put in a lot of FaceTime over there, and I'd kissed a lot of ass with the right people. So I figured, you know, now, if ever I have a chance, this is it. So I went into a, a big pitch session, um, and I pitched uh, Jordan Love's type series for KPBS. Sorry. No, no. It was a Jordan Hates type series for KPBS. And John Decker, the director of programming at the time, said, that's not really our speed. You know, KPBS is very positive. But he said, what about, I don't know, is Jordan Loves a thing? And I said, well, the hell it is now. So I went home 
and I retooled, and I came up with the concept for Jordan Loves, and uh, and I brought it to them with with visuals and um, and examples of what I could do and whatnot, and a little team put together, and they said, "All right, we'll take it." And I couldn't believe it, uh, and it was almost horrifying because. Look, I pitched the idea, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm used to negativity. I'm used to bitching and complaining. That stuff writes itself. Right. But positivity, what am I, you know. So I racked my brain, but I said, uh, I decided I would do it on uh, Jordan Love's hidden areas of San Diego. Little things that you might not know about San Diego. Uh, almost like um, Edgy or Ken Kramer. And, uh, and so I did. And we did a, a few episodes, and uh, and it was a pretty decent run. And, and they're still running digitally on KPBS today. It was a digital series. And each episode was about um, five to seven minutes. And I would cover some barely explored section of San Diego, something that you might not know about. And and it was fun. It was a good run. And I, we covered such things as the uh, La Jolla Sea Caves. We covered uh, hidden bars and little speakeasies in San Diego. One that surprised me, you know, this was supposed to be a throwaway episode, but we did an episode in the San Diego airport, and people loved it. I mean, people were really interested to find out, uh, you know, about the airport. And, and the thing is, the airport's actually very interesting. I mean, it it's the second busiest single runway airport in the world, second only to, I think, Glasgow. Wow. Yeah, but it's insanely busy. And if you look at it, I mean, planes are landing... One after the other after the other, and it's amazing. I don't know how they manage to keep things in order, but they but they do. And and you know there was, I mean there was all these crazy ideas for the airport. Somebody wanted to build it two miles out to sea on a floating dock. Oh my god! I mean that's insane to me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and and scary if they missed. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Oh. But um, yeah. So so I did that for a little while, and I still have a pretty decent. Um, Relationship with KPBS, thankfully. And, uh, yeah, those episodes are still in the ether. So how many episodes did you do, and did they give you money for this? They did fund it. They partially funded it. I had to crowdfund for some of the episodes. but um, So I did seven episodes under the KPBS banner, and I did an additional five episodes outside of KPBS um, that I still shared with KPBS. Uh, and and they gave, you know, for a digital series, they gave me fairly decent money. And and the thing is, I've been used to, I've always been used to doing projects on a shoestring budget anyway. I've usually, you know, as filmmakers, if we want something done, as I'm sure you know, sometimes we have to pay for it ourselves. Yes. Um, so it was nice just to receive money from anybody. So I was surprised with how much we were able to do with with just a little extra money. And it was a nice little run. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still very grateful to KPBS. And also, as we build our film crew and our friends, it's nice to be able to hire pretty talented people to do the projects with us. Definitely. You know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the best, it's as great as it is to work with your friends, one of the best feelings is to be able to offer your friends money yeah, to work with them and, yeah, and, and, and for them to do what they like. Right. But... You know, I always say these days, oh, you know, I don't work for free, but that's baloney. Yeah. I, if if a friend of mine asks me to do something, nine times out of ten, I'll say, yeah, of course, because I like working with my friends, you know? I, as much as, yes, film is a business, but it's not as much of a business here in San Diego as it is in L.A., 
And here it's, for a lot of people, it's, myself included, it's still a hobby. And it's something I love to do. And any chance I get to work with my friends, I'll do it. Right, yeah. Now, did you get uh, sponsorship for You're Gonna Die Alone? We were on the verge of doing it when when the show came to a halt. What happened? Well, what happened was uh, Kristen had to take some time off uh, to go care for her mother. And when she came back, this was at the beginning of COVID. At the beginning of COVID, we, we recorded one episode. And then she had to take off to Florida to care for her mother. And when she came back, she had sort of changed her perspective. She said, you know, I see how how fragile life is. And, and I, I question whether or not I want to spend my life being negative. And I said, but Kristen, let's be honest. You're not going to change overnight. And you're a very negative person. You're a cynic. What do you, you know what I mean? Right. A zebra doesn't change its stripes. A zebra continues to be the same shitty zebra. Let's be shitty zebras together because I'm still the zebra. But she said, no, you know, I want to I, I want to be positive. I want to do positive things. I said, all right, well, it is what it is. I mean, I can't I can't do a cynical podcast alone and I can't do a cynical podcast with a co-host. First off, that's not sure she wants to continue doing it. But even if she was positive, well, you know, I need to bounce my cynical ideas off of somebody. So it unfortunately came to uh, to uh, to an end. Um, but. We had a good run, and Chris and I are still friends, and I'm very proud of the work we did. Yeah, and because of her change in attitude, she didn't get to be a part of the side, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kidding. There's I'm kidding. <laughs> there's some truth to it, sure. <laughs> so um, you have this new web series uh, on YouTube called Sides, which just completed its first season of 10 episodes, which is really funny. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the project and the process for writing it? So my friend Eric Casolini uh, reached out to me. He's a local actor, and he mostly does... Uh, drama. He does a lot of theater. But people don't realize he's a very funny guy. And he wanted to do some comedic reels. And he said, you know, we might as well just turn it into a series or something. So he and uh, his friend Allison Spratt-Pierce, who also is incredibly funny, but people mostly know her from... Uh, she, she's big in theater here in San Diego. And uh, people mostly know her as, as a dramatic actress. And she wanted to be involved too. So we brought in um, our friend Michael Foster, who is incredibly hilarious. He's a great director, but he is one of the best editors, certainly the best comedic editor I've met uh, lately. And with him behind us, we said, great, let's put a team together. And so we had Mike Sears, who's also a dramatic actor. We had Beth Gallagher, who's also a dramatic, uh, dramatic actor. And, uh, and myself, who's mostly done... I've mostly done comedy, but I've mostly done other people's comedies, and I wanted to do something of my own. So we conceived of a project. Uh, we had a perfect place to shoot, first off. We had um, a little place called Brew Bar down in Chula Vista on 3rd Avenue. And what it is, it's a coffee shop, but they also serve beer and wine. And we said, you know, this would double as a – because it is a restaurant, but they just have kind of a revolving kitchen. And we said, you know, this would be the perfect place to shoot a restaurant show. Uh, so I sat down with the actors. I got to know them. And, um, and and I got to know their little quirks and proclivities. And based on that, I sort of wrote characters that are, they're us, but they're us cranked up to 11, you know? And so, um, but what was nice is they would throw, we would get together on Zoom because it's during the pandemic, but they would throw ideas out for episodes. 
And so somebody would take that and they'd build upon the idea. So it was really more like a writer's room. And so within the group itself, we would come up with ideas. And then uh, once we'd flesh them out, I'd say, okay, let me, let me take the story. Let me run with it. I'll commit it to paper and, and really, really flesh out the jokes and the tone and the structure. And then I'll come back and we'll do a table read. And uh, we would come back. And sometimes the story wouldn't work that well. But most of the time it, it would because it was based on the ideas that they had. And, and I got to tell you, I, I don't think I've ever worked with a funnier group of people. I mean, they were just, you know, Tammy, do you know how sometimes you'll take a script and you'll hand it off to someone and they will shit all over that script? And let's say maybe the director won't quite understand the themes or the actor you know, won't quite get your jokes. And so you just feel like they just massacred your child. Right. Well, these people were so goddamn funny. And Michael Foster was such a talented, is such a talented director that I felt like they took my my words and, and they augmented them. They made them their own. They made them funnier. And it was just a pleasure to work with. I mean, it really, I don't want to say the episodes wrote themselves because I put a lot of work into it. But once we put it in their hands... They, they just flowered into something that I felt was great. And so once we had 10 episodes, well, we had a few episode ideas. We settled on 10 episodes that we would do for a potential first season. I wrote them out. We workshopped them. Uh, we refined them. And then we said, okay, great. Let's shoot them. So in the space of, I think it was three sessions, we shot 10 episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we shot about two or three, well, maybe it was four sessions. Because we had to shoot about two or three a day. Yeah. And, but we managed to shoot them quickly. And, uh, you know, they were such pros. Everybody had their stuff memorized. And so we kicked them out on Facebook video and on YouTube. And I got to tell you, this is, this is a project two years in the making. But when it finally came out, I mean, everybody promoted it properly and heavily and ad nauseum. And when it finally came out, people thankfully responded well to it i mean this is one of the things that i've worked on that people have responded the best to i want to say and i couldn't be more pleased i mean we got a a nice little write-up in the paper about it and you know a few decent reviews and and i'm very happy with the with how sides is doing and 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 how it looks well and i think that um when you have good writing and you have great actors it only can up the game I think so, too. So it's just finding the right team to nail it. And I feel like this was the right team for my writing, you know? Yeah, they are all funny in very different ways. So I, I just take me through, like, Zoom. I thought that was so funny when they all got on Zoom to have a meeting. Oh, and why don't you tell us the premise of the the episodes? What's the story? Oh, right. So, sorry. So the story is uh, four struggling actors who are hired to work at a restaurant and uh, the woman who runs the restaurant and is forced to deal with the proclivities and the ridiculousness and the drama of these four struggling actors. And um, yeah, so it's pretty much the actors among themselves sort of talking about different acting techniques and it's sort of, you know, they're competing um, personalities and whatnot. Uh, But there's one episode that was my particular favorite and it's a Zoom episode. And the thing is, look, I know during the two years of the pandemic, everybody was doing Zoom movies. And so for me, I was a little tired of seeing them. So I really wanted to give a Zoom project that would really stand out. 
And and part of this one was based on our actual because since there was a pandemic going on, all of us would meet on Zoom. And and one of us always had problems figuring Zoom out because he was an older fella. And another one um, would always have a pretentious background and whatnot. And we would always there, – there are certain things that happen over Zoom that, that don't really happen in real life. And so I wrote an episode based on that. And, and what it is, it's a staff meeting that they had over Zoom. And uh, everybody's having trouble um, – you know, getting heard and tuning in and making it work. And it was just, it was, and it ends with one of the characters almost dying. Um, and I think that uh, I, people seem to be responding pretty well to it. I'm very happy with how the episode turned out. Yeah. And I, I loved Alexa. Um, oh. <laughs> that was funny. That's all I'll say so that you watch it. But I had that happen to me during a podcast. I don't know why it, mine, starts chiming in and starts playing music while I was doing a podcast. It almost so, happened now. It chimed up the moment you said its yeah, name. Yeah, and I was like, okay, let's let it go to sleep again. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, I thought that was hilarious incorporating that, especially when it had happened to me and then I watched your episode. I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. And I haven't really seen that in Zoom uh, comedy sketches of a Zoom meeting where that chimes in. Um, but, oh well, yeah. Well, it's funny. It, I, I think it happened to one of us, and I said, "We got it. That's got to be part of the." You know, I think music started playing halfway through a Zoom meeting, and I said, "This, this has got. It's got to be part of the episode." Well, and the editing of it, the volume of it, everything was perfect. Like totally believable that oh, this was actually you. happening. So, did you do this like? Um, like, okay, so how did you do the Zoom? Did everybody actually get into a Zoom or did you record these all separate and then put it into Zoom? We, God, we record, some of the people were there during during the recording, but uh, Michael Foster wanted us all to, he wanted us all to record with each other on Zoom, but it was it's so tough to do because it's tough to coordinate I don't know much about the technical aspects of it. I do know this. The way Michael Foster, our director and editor, uh, recorded and edited, to me, it seems flawless. So I can't tell you where the breaks are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you look very closely, you can see them. But but it just looks like one continuous Zoom episode. Yeah. And and we certainly recorded it that way. But I think he sort of was picking and choosing which sections of it he was going to use. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah, because I'm always kind of curious how they did that because um, I, I did a movie and it was homeschooling during the quarantine and I had it, but I didn't have everybody on Zoom. I had to record the teacher first and then I had all my students listening to the teacher talking through the video while they're responding in video that I'm recording. So, wow, that must have been tough to do. Yeah, so it was kind of, it was interesting in the learning. So I'm always curious when other people do it, like, how did they do that? And and is it all done at the same time, especially because you were off on a walk and uh, my, uh, who, who was in the car? Mike. Mike was in the car, yeah. um, which I think he is hilarious. I l- very funny. I love the interview. <laughs> the very talented Mike Sears. <laughs> yeah, he, he was I just hit... I don't know. He's just awesome. You got to check it out. Um, and these are on YouTube. Now, is your Jordan Hates on YouTube too? And where can we find these? Yeah, Jordan Hates is on YouTube. Uh, Sides is on YouTube at Sides, the real web series. Uh, Jordan Hates it used to be easy to find about 10 years ago on YouTube. Now, Jordan Hates, you get a lot of uh, videos of Michael Jordan talking shit about other basketball players. 
So you can also look up Jordan Jacobo, um, and that should give you some. Um, that's J A C O B O, and that should give you some of my stuff. Um, but Jordan hates is now also a little bit on Facebook video, as is uh, Jordan loves, and um, we also have some Jordan loves on on YouTube. But the best place to check those out uh, is Jordan loves on KPBS Facebook page. And oof, I guess wow, I guess yeah, stuff spread all over the place. What a mess! I know, I know. It's so hard to find you, and, uh, and or the, is it? Well, <laughs> and the podcast you're going to die alone is spelled U R. Uh, the 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 letters and then gonna die alone and then that's on um, pretty much wherever you get podcasts you can find that one and um, and even though we stopped doing the episodes there's been talk about maybe bringing you know sort of sort of properly bringing it to a close and doing some thank you episodes um, you know thank you for listening to us and and here's how we're wrapping things up but uh, but they're still out there and I still you know I, I listen to them it's funny. I, I I started listening to him the other day because we hadn't recorded in about a year and a half, and so did my former partner Kristen. She goes, you know, we were pretty funny, and I go, yeah, what? Yes, stupid. <laughs> right. what you, yeah, I thought we were pretty good, but you know, she. Uh, it's a phase. It's a phase, <laughs> but Kristen. I, it's a phase, <laughs> but I feel like we lost momentum, which yeah, it happens. Well, I guess sometimes things come to an end for something else to begin, and. You know, you have sides and... Well, it's funny you should mention that because I recently got an opportunity to do a radio show in Los Angeles. And so uh, it is on DAVI Radio, wow. LA. And it's uh, the radio station, it, it premieres, the entire station premieres on January 1st. But uh, for people here in San Diego, I'm doing, I'm doing a show on the station twice a week. But I'm also releasing it as a podcast. Now, the show itself is called The Impossibly Positive Show. And it stars me and my co-host, Carla Nell. And essentially what it is, I mean, if you haven't been able to guess now, I'm, I tend to be very cynical and negative. My, my co-host, Carla Nell, who is a local uh, performer, she mostly does theater, and she's a filmmaker as well. She's a very positive, bright ray of sunlight. And so she and I decided to team up and do uh, a one-hour show twice weekly uh, talking about just interesting news, weird news, celebrity news, and good news, which I think the world kind of needs now. So it's called The Impossibly Positive Show. Starting in mid-January, you can um, you can catch it wherever you can catch podcasts. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, and then do you have to go to, up to L.A. to record it or... Do you call in? What? No, thankfully we're doing pre-recorded shows, so we can record them here in San Diego, send them to uh, the station up in LA, and then they're gonna they're gonna play them out there. Wow! Yeah. How did you How did you get that gig? Uh, you know, I it was partly being at the right place at the right time. Um, the uh, executive producer of the station, uh, Davi Davenport, she's. Um, She's kind of an L.A. slash San Diego socialite, and I had lunch with her in um, in October, and she said, "I, you know, we were talking a little bit about some of the stuff I did with KPBS, and she said, you know, I love your voice. Did you ever think about doing a radio show? And I said, look, I did a podcast, but I've never done anything live. And she said, well, you don't have to do anything live. Just would you consider doing a show on the station that I'm starting? I said, well, heck yes. Why not? And uh, and it's been a great experience. We've already recorded the first two episodes, and um, it's 
it's like Jordan hates in that I'm still very cynical and negative about things. But it's also unlike anything I've ever done before because it's there's a very positive slant to it, uh, which I think is it's been very interesting for me because I've had to sort of get out of my comfort zone. And I think some of the best art is created in spaces that you may not necessarily be comfortable in. So for me, it's been great. And uh, and sort of that's how it came together. And it's, you know, it's weird as artists, you never know where your next gig is going to come from. And sometimes it comes from the most surprising of places. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's just um, continuing to network and you're always out there and about and especially with the 48s and the f- four points, I'm, you're like in every one. You're Every year you do it, don't you? <laughs> you know, every you're year. You're already, all, always seen. Every year I tell myself I'm not going to do the 48 because I go, ah, you know, it's too much work. and But then I end up doing it because you know what the problem is? I tell people, well, stay out and, 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 and be involved in stuff and network. But the fact of the matter is I've got the FOMO, that, that fear of missing out. I just need to... I can't sit at home knowing people are out there creating stuff, and I'm not. Right. So I always offer to do something with someone, and and thankfully, you know, I've I've gotten on some great teams. Uh, last year, I worked with David Rains and and Christine Gatlin, and um, you know, I've worked with uh, Jonathan uh, Hammond before, and Jake Bird, and just some very great filmmakers, you know, and and. Um, and so, yes, I've been in some 48s that uh, I promised I would never do again. But, but I, you know, you just – it's like Woody Allen says about, uh, you know, in Annie Hall, you know, you need the eggs. You need to, you need to keep putting yourself out there just because as an artist, it's, it's your drive. It's, it's what you live for. Right. And you're only as good as your last film kind of thing. And if you're not in the spotlight or in people's faces – then people forget. <laughs> forget That's about so true. you. That's so true. Yeah. So um, any new projects that you're doing be- in addition to the radio show? Anything else? Well, the radio show is taking up a l- plenty of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it takes about five hours per episode to really prep and do research and whatnot because I want to do stories. I want to do weird news stories that people haven't heard about. So for right now, I'm sticking to... To focusing on the radio show, trying to get that to be successful. And also, there's been some talk about a second season of Sides. But to be honest, we were... The first season was funded by ourselves, which a lot of art starts that way. But we would prefer to have some sponsorship before we take on a second season. So we're, we're seeing where that goes. But, but thankfully, the response has been such that we're getting some attention and hopefully we do get some sponsors. Yeah, and how do you go about getting sponsors? Boy, isn't that the question. I know. <laughs> to answer your question, I don't know. Uh, right. And I wish I knew. I, I guess putting yourself out there and getting I, getting publicity, does that help? Yeah. Because some people have started reaching out. but Oh, good. Yeah, but I don't know if it's, look, like everything, you don't know if it's going to lead to something or if it's not. I, I hope it does. But, you know, it's funny. I used to be in sales, so you would think I would know how to get sponsors, but sales was just such a pain in the ass that it's something I don't look forward to doing again, to soliciting people. You know what I mean? It's just right. weird for me. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about sponsorship like Deadpool. 
um, you could just get like all these brands and then you stop and then you say something about the brand and then you go back to the, the scene. <laughs> I mean, just as the, I was just thinking product pl- placement like they did and make yeah. fun of it. <laughs> and I like making, fun, you know, Conan O'Brien used to make fun of Heineken all the time on his show and it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, he would say, Conan O'Brien would do a live read for Heineken and then he would look at the camera and say, hey, look at us whoring it up. And I thought that was so funny. He was so self-aware about his product placement. I would love to get some products like that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of hard because I was just thinking like uh, sponsorship like for podcasts. Well, you know, you can um, share something about the the sponsor and you never know the eyeballs are now international, but anything kind of on the web. And then it's just like, how do you promote yourself to get it bigger? Absolutely. That's always the challenge. Now you're on um, you're on social media. Do you want to do some of your plugs? Uh, yeah, plugs for Instagram and Facebook and whatever you're on. Yeah, you can check me out at uh, Jordan Jacobo on um, on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Jordan Loves Everything on Instagram and Jordan underscore Hates on Instagram. And I usually uh, yeah I usually plug myself and promote myself there. And uh, yeah, just uh, come on if we're not friends. Send me a friend request, and I'd love to. Uh, I love meeting new people. I'm always fascinated. I'm interested in people, and I think every every writer should be interested in people. And uh, I legitimately am. And and if uh, you're interested in becoming a stalker, uh, they always make for good um, good material. So go ahead and hit me up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and what about um, if somebody's an aspiring comedy writer? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think watch as much comedy as you can, and not just watch the most contemporary things you can, but also watch the classics. Uh, one of the things that had a huge um, impact on me was the Colgate Comedy Hour with um, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and those things were recorded in the early 50s, but they were so funny, and they really broke a lot of boundaries, and they were so self-referential before... You know, people were referring to themselves. I'd say check things out. Things that interest you, sometimes it's good to go down a rabbit hole and really get lost in stuff. You know, I I like uh, celebrity roasts. So I have an entire collection of the Dean Martin roasts from the late 60s and early 70s, and I can't get enough of them. I mean, they're so funny. And, you know, some of the jokes are problematic, but it's interesting to see what people were doing then and to see how comedy evolves. Because really, you know, the stuff you find funny will always be funny. But it's interesting, and I think it's very instructive for someone looking in, to get into uh, comedy writing to find out how those jokes can still be told today in a more respectful manner and in a more um, a reasonable manner, you know? Now that uh, we're becoming awake, it's yeah. kind of, we got to be... A little well. How how do you feel about that on comedy? You know, now we have to really be mindful of what comes out our mouth. Absolutely. You know, I. So how do you still be funny? I think I think you can still be funny and be respectful. Um, but I think that there's a limit to it because mm-hmm. I think that at a certain point, people are always looking to be offended. Case in point, uh, when I did Jordan hates, I would find being offended and ranting and bitching and complaining, cathartic. And I think a lot of people are out there. People will always find a reason to be offended if they want to be offended. 
So I would say watch yourself, but don't let it... Self-censorship should be taken with a grain of salt, you know? Watch what you're saying and don't be overtly hateful. But at the same time, there's truth in comedy. So, you know, say what you want to say. And as long as you're not overtly hurting anybody, I I think you should be fine. Right, yeah. Well, and also um, some of the comedies like uh, Joe Coy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so funny. Oh, he's hilarious, and he his jokes are really based on his family and stuff and himself. So I think that maybe it's also you could just turn it inward and make the the joke on you uh, or of you, and then how can you really offend? Absolutely, and and look, sometimes you 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 criticize things outwardly. For instance, I have I did an episode called Jordan hates seeing movies on opening night. And and my whole joke was everybody was hooting and hollering. And also, I don't like to see movies with young kids because they have their phones out. And seeing this, their phone screens are so disruptive that I can't properly focus on what the black people are yelling at the screen. And some people gave me a hard time for, for, for making that joke. But you know who didn't give me a hard time? Black people. Because I have a lot of black friends, and they know that they're they're loud during the movies. And at this point, it's almost hacking at how how true it is. You know right. what I mean? And so people look. People again are going to be are going to be offended because they want to be offended. But sometimes there's a truth in comedy, and will you get in trouble for it? Probably, but that shouldn't stop you from saying what you want to say as long as there's a truth to it. I right. feel, and and that could be just a truth to you, or that could be a truth in general. You know, I always say this. I always say that. I would rather, as opposed to having 100 people who kind of like what I do, I would rather have just 10 people who love what I do. Um, you know, but but the bigger you get or the more um, the more notoriety you get, the harder that, that is, you know. The more people see your stuff, the more people are going to come out of the woodwork and say, hey, this is problematic or this is hateful or this is borderline racist or sexist or whatnot. And um, and that's just the way it is. And that's, I think, the price you pay for putting your stuff out there and and being the price you pay for honesty sometimes. Well, I guess you know you're there when you start getting the <laughs> negative responses because that's inevitable. I think so, too. Yeah. And I think in a way, it kind of the negative responses are a good sign because it means that not just your family is watching your stuff, but the outside world. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, this was a lot to take in. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. This was just such a delight. Well, thank you for having me, Tammy. This is nice. This is one of the funner podcasts I've been on lately because, you know, you actually have a nice couch here for people to relax and get comfortable. Maybe that's your secret. Maybe you get people to come in and get comfortable and then suddenly they they drop all uh, pretensions and tell you the truth. I so, love it. I love it. Yes. Yeah. So very nice. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to get out there and make a film. Reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect. Please subscribe to the show if you like it and follow me on Instagram at Tammy Maguero. Until we meet again, what's your story? <laughs>